Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Lawson! Janae! Janae! Welcome to the show. Janae is here on Work Experience this week and we are super excited to have Janae as a part of the program. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, look, I'm thankful that you're here, Lyle. Oh, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of nice. <laughs> we had such I'll a good week it. last week. Uh, with, you know, we had a slew of different people hosting with us. I was sitting in your chair being, being the, you know, wearing the pants of the studio. And, uh, and we were just having a fantastic time. It's so good that you're back. So, yeah, I'm, well, I'm stoked. So you don't have see. to, uh, you don't have to, um, you know, Take all the heavy responsibility of this chair anymore? No, I just like spending time with you, Lyle. Is that okay? <laughs> uh, that's awesome. It is good to be back. I'm thankful to be back. Yeah. It was good to be away. Mm. Um, I was away up north teaching at LMT, late missionary training, mm-hmm. which is kind of a ordinary name. But yeah, right. um, I think I called it something different. I was like, oh, he's at local missions volunteer training <laughs> so whatever yeah it's it's I was there now. and it was just awesome it was amazing the best group of young people ever and we were studying the book of daniel which of course anybody who knows me knows that i'm love to teach the book of daniel so yeah it was amazing janae what are you thankful for um i think i'm just thankful to be here this morning oh uh, we have this in common yeah <laughs> just you know a special shout out to all of our work experience students um from avondale it's a bit daunting of course going to a new place but i think it's going to be really exciting to be here so a little bit different from uh, sort of getting up you know putting on the school uniform heading off to school that kind of stuff yep uh, pretty different from that <laughs> the good thing about radio is you can uh, well there's kind of no no dress code for radio isn't there <laughs> well we are in an office where there is yes, a, je- a yes, dress code so yes. unfortunately this is the case but well hey <laughs> you've got to just deal with what you've got to deal with you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different all right, so let's have a look at some positively different news. And I said before before we got into it, I was like, oh, this is kind of heavy because we're going to be talking about uh, fracking this morning. Okay, I've never actually heard the, the, the uh, fracking and positively different in the same <laughs> sentence before. Uh, so please, Lawson, explain yourself. So after a landmark three-year legal battle, the state of Ohio, actually the, a federal judge, um, has announced that Ohio's only National forest, so it's only nationally protected forest, will not uh, succumb to pressures from the uh, Bureau. Uh, sorry, yeah, the the it's actually the Bureau of Land Management who is putting this forward um, to allow fracking in forty thousand of its acres. That's fantastic. Which is which is fantastic. So I they've actually, only got one forest. They've only got one national forest, national forest. in in wow. Ohio. And this one national forest, uh, you know, it's like, oh, there's natural resources here, uh, particularly big rocks with gas in them. Let's start fracking. You know, let's get this done. Uh, and we're going to talk, be talking about fracking a little bit. But yeah, essentially, you know, it was very attractive to those who were trying to, to push forth, uh, trying to get in and to, to frack the land to, you know, get natural gas and uh, continue to uh, provide energy companies. And, uh, yeah, essentially they have completely rebuked it, blocked it, put the sanction in place. Nope, you are it's not gonna allowed to Gas do this. is going to stay there. Yep. 
You know, Frank, here's one of those things. See, generally speaking, I'm in favour of mining. I think that there are wonderful resources that God has given mm. to us that we mm. should go and dig up and use, uh, but in a responsible way. And to me, I don't know, fracking just does not seem to be responsible. <laughs> it's just... It's just going that one step that's just way too far. And as stewards or managers of our world, you know, God has created us as stewards and managers of our world. It seems to be a very f- poor form of management. Exactly. And this is the thing about what, what has made fracking so controversial. Because on one hand, um, it has significantly boosted domestic oil production, in, particularly in the United States, where it was kind of revolutionized around the they've been doing it since the you know the very very late 40s but yeah in the 80s late 80s it was kind of revolutionized and became a real mainstay to energy companies uh and and that is just yeah really shot up the ability that they have to uh essentially get natural gas because how fracking works is that you drill a hole then you send lots of water and sand and just inject all this stuff into the hole attacking this rock and then it gives the you know you kind of break the surface of the rock and natural gas is able to seep out and um because of this they're able to to drill diagonally they're able to to do all these things but yeah uh, this is of course controversial because you know releasing releasing potentially dangerous natural gases straight into the air you know because they capture it at the top of the hole rather than down in the hole and then there's been concerns over oh what if the this natural gas leaks into water supplies. That's been like the number one concern. It's like, what's going to, in fact, water just in general is the one number one concern of fracking because they yes. use so much water to do it. That's right. But then simultaneously it has such, you know, it's so potent, the gas that they're like, Oh, we're releasing carcinogenic chemicals into, into water supplies. It's incredibly risky. And as you said, Lyle, it's, it's one of those things where it's that step too far where it's like the, the risk isn't necessarily being mitigated by the advantage of this it just seems harmful that's right that's right and you know we're smart creatures as human beings we need to start living without uh you know non-renewable resources we need to start to move towards renewables because hey if you're going to live here that's going to be our future you know i believe that god's going to come soon long before any of that but of course that does not that does not mean that we must not plan for the future Mm, for sure. But actually, in very, very, very good environmental news, so that was some pretty good environmental news, but in very good environmental news, very close to home here in Australia. So last week, we had a one in 100 year flood event. That was actually very unfortunate, like yes. for, for a lot of people, lots of struggle. Both of your positive news have started in a really <laughs> negative way. Let's, yeah. let's have positive news about fracking. Okay. Let's have positive news about floods. Okay. Um, yeah. one, in 100, one in 100 year flood event that happened, what, five years after the last 100 and, yeah. one in 100 year flood event? Wait, but check this out. Okay, so so the the town, the the country town of Stanthorpe yes. um, has been... Drive through it on Sunday. Oh, 100%. So, yeah, Stanthorpe has been on, like, tier, like the highest tier of water restrictions for, like, yes. a number of years yes. now. But because of this rainfall that, where they saw, like, I think it was, like, 140 mils in a 24-hour period. It's kind of nothing compared to what was happening on the coast, but... But, like, for Stanthorpe... Very significant for Stanthorpe. Their dam, their Storm King dam has now hit 100%, and for the first time in years, they have come out of water restriction. That's wow. fantastic. So, great stuff. We actually drove through Stanthorpe Sunday week ago, 
And it was interesting because I was driving through Stanthorpe in bright sunshine while the whole coast, because I had to go up through the New England Highway to get up to Mwoolumbar, mm. had to drive to Mwoolumbar via Brisbane. Mm. <laughs> that was a bit lame. <laughs> um, but while the whole coast was just being drowned, here I am driving in bright sunshine. It was amazing. Yeah, beautiful stuff. So um, they're really seeing a revitalization of the town now. It's like they say it's really brought back the spirit of the town because they don't feel just locked in this, like, in the restrictions, you know, and then they're like, oh, maybe we can start to get tourists back we can start to see our town and the the economy of stanthorpe uh just flourish again so good stuff a final finally here for the last couple of minutes um i come across a list this morning that came out of a survey of the top 10 things or the top 20 things i should say that people want to do in their post-COVID holiday. So this is going on research that happens every year, you know, just general marketing research of the kind of holidays that people want to go on. I'm just going to ask you guys first, Janae, where where would you like, if you had a dream holiday destination, where would it be? If I had a dream holiday destination, well, to be honest, we haven't had that for a long time, so I'm (laughs) kind of thinking of getting out of the country. (laughs) Just just bouncing. Anywhere, Anywhere outside of Australia, you reckon? Well, I mean... We do have a lot of family in New Zealand, so I'd love to go back there, just have a family reunion, because we haven't seen them for a long time. And I feel like it'd just be really nice to see a different environment other than the really dry side of Australia or the now flooded side of Australia. (laughs) So a good balance would be... Perfect. I guess it's awesome. days off to New Zealand. Where are you going to, Lawson? Oh, so actually, I wanted to talk about this very <laughs> because this has kind of influenced what I wanted to do. Okay. So, for, for the longest time, the number one holiday destination has been lounging on the beach. Like, that's what people want to do when they go on holidays. So, yes. you know, that takes them yes. to all kinds of places. I agree with that. The classic Bali holidays, uh-huh. the Maldives yes. holidays, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But for the first time ever, after year on year lounging on the beach, people want to go Hiking. Hiking. That's good. So that's awesome. That's positive. That's really, really great. They want to get out fresh into air, nature. Sunshine. Fresh air, sunshine. Exercise. And they want to see something like, you know, and, and this is the thing, because this was a, a an American-based study. I'm like, guys, come to Australia. Come hiking with us. Come yeah, on holidays here. Hike through the Simpson Desert. <laughs> So we were actually we were talking last week about how you know uh, Australian lockdown has been stuck in a massive uh, country, unfortunately, which is kind of a good thing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so um, as I mentioned earlier, there's nothing more cowardly than an attack on a place of worship, and of course in Indonesia yesterday in the province of Sulawesi there was a bombing attack, a suicide bombers attacked a Roman Catholic church there mm. um, during the Palm Sunday service. I guess it's fortunate in a way the um, the bombers arrived on a motorbike and came in a side entrance where they were stopped by a security guard, and so they actually detonated their bomb outside the church and so the only two fatalities were the actual bombers but 13 other people were injured Mm. i kind of uh hope and pray that the security guard survived that Mm. um, or survives that i should say because we've got injured people so far um but yeah so we can thank god that uh, there wasn't you know that these guys didn't make it inside because if they had then you know you get a bomb go off in an enclosed space and it just does so much more damage we saw that in sri lanka um a year or so ago 
Oh, okay. Anyway, they found out that they've been able to identify one of these bombers so far. He's the mm. member of a militant group that was involved in attacks in the Philippines, attacks on churches in the Philippines. Mm. And it's, you know, it's just super distressing when people start attacking churches. And, you know, I was listening to some commentary on this and they were saying, you know, Islam was a great religion up until, you know, so the 1800s when they became uh, fundamentalist. And I don't actually think the problem was is with fundamentalist Islam. It's political Islam. Oh, right. yeah, I would agree, 100%. Because you can be fundamentalist, well, you know, but not be political, and it's not going to be a problem. But as soon as it becomes political, so as soon as you get that union of church and state, religion huh. and politics together, mm. it becomes a disaster. Because, well, fundamentalism doesn't incite violence. Like That's, that's right. The, that's the ultimate thing. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, in fact, like... Political motivation is way more than fundamentalist motivation, like yes. to defend your like country, all these kinds of things. Like if you make it political, yeah, hundred percent. That's tough. The good thing is that this t- attack has been universally condemned by the Indonesian government, so we can, good uh, you know, yeah. good to see them taking a uh, a really strong stand there. And while we're talking about people taking strong stands, this is. The best thing that I have ever heard coming out of the Australian Parliament in recent times. So two liberal backbenchers have called for a ban on drugs and alcohol in Parliament House. That's incredible. Wow, now, now that's, why that's this great. isn't why this isn't why this isn't just sort of like the most common sense <laughs> dirtiest <laughs> thing, right. thing ever, mm. and why it hasn't been? You know, why did we not do this back in 1901? Why don't we just start yes. there? Right. Mm. Seriously, exactly, 100%. Well, it's it's like this problem, it's now coming to a head. Like, yes. we, we covered, yes. you know, yes. while you were away, Lyle, we covered, you know, for three, four days last week, just everything that was coming out. The Parliament House was just being engulfed in scandal after scandal after scandal. And it seems like, well, the, the number one factor in this is that people are making terrible choices and doing the wrong thing. Right. But what perpetuates it, hundred percent is you know the the abuse of substances in Parliament House. Yes, yeah, so did you know you're a young, you're a young lady. You've mm-hmm. got uh, your future ahead of you. You're in high school at the moment. Maybe one day you'll be a member of Parliament. What are your <laughs> thoughts on this? Ban alcohol in Parliament House? Oh, of course, I think so. I mean, if you look at a lot of the scandals that are happening, you see that it all kind of stems back to substance abuse. And we're looking at like, especially with alcohol coming from parties, they're intoxicated, and then of course they can't, you know, really do anything once they get beyond that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then a lot of it is like, well, they become victims because. They're already victims of, you know, the substance abuse. And, um, I mean, like, just looking into the future, if we want a, a safer Australia, it really comes down to leaders who can not only protect us, but themselves. Absolutely. We do this, we do this in the outback where we have communities that are in trouble and we turn it into a dry community and it solves a lot of the problems, right? Right. Mm. We have exactly the same kind of environment, it seems, in Parliament House as we do in some of these outback communities that are out of control. These guys down there are out of control. Just ban the stuff. And of course, (laughs) of course, they're, uh, they're talking about a a, a ban on drugs as well. Well, you know, that's criminal behavior. Yeah, exactly. You know, people are going to involve themselves in criminal behavior. They have no place in Parliament house as well and they're basically talking about you know do a drug test do an alcohol test at the door blowing the blowing the tube before you come in i think it's a fantastic idea we don't want we don't want our government to be making decisions under the influence 100%. we don't trust people to drive under the influence and how much more <laughs> yeah. important is running Legal the decisions. country exactly <laughs> I mean, there's, there's reports of people who are drinking late at night because you know parliament sits late at night sometimes yeah and it's like yeah this is what keeps us awake no it doesn't 
No. Alcohol is a depressant. It's not going to keep you awake. Yikes. I mean, the only people they're hurting are, this, are themselves. So. Dude, and this and is the thing. Else. This is the thing. How much of our history has taken place under, under the, the influence? influence? You know? Yeah. You, you go back through history. Go back to, you know, some of the, um, the serial arsonists who have just, you know, turned up on the world stage and burnt the world to the ground. Mm. You know, Alexander the Great. Let me start with Alexander the Great. You've got a guy, and I know I've mentioned this before, but he would go to drinking competitions. You know, we have the records of this. They would have drinking competitions. Like, yeah, we had a drinking competition the other night. It was great. 30 men died. (laughs) Heavy. You know? (laughs) From alcohol poisoning. From alcohol poisoning. And, and, And this guy just burnt the world to the ground. Uh, you know, you can come down through history. You've got, say, Adolf Hitler was a meth addict. Yeah, wow. true. Totally addicted to meth. Yeah, and you can see, you can see in, <laughs> in the history of his life how that completely destroyed him and destroyed half the world in the in the process. Stalin was worse, and Stalin was basically never sober. Mm. There was never a time when Stalin was sober. Mm. Total alcoholic. Napoleon was addicted to opium on the, when he lost the battle of the, uh, the the battle of Waterloo. He was as high as a kite. <laughs> okay, so and and you're going to and and you know, it just to me this is the most logical thing ever. If you're going to be in Parliament, stay off the substances. You don't mm. need them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the things that I did appreciate about uh, back in the day, and this will. Um, Reveal my age because I can remember when John Howard was the Prime Minister and <laughs> during his entire tenure he never drank once. And that was a decision he made. Once he was elected Prime Minister, That's he vowed he would actually not. actually incredible. It's actually incredible. There's very yeah. few world leaders that have done that, you know, outside of, um, you know, the 1040 window. Of course, they don't drink there mm. Mm. for the most part. Um, <laughs> and so I think we actually have a lot to learn in this country and these are really, really good things we need to make them happen. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so joining us in the studio this morning is Janae, who's been here Hello. all morning. <laughs> and Janae is um, on work experience. What school do you go to? I go to Avondale School in Kerrimbong. Fantastic. What uh, what year are you in? Year 10. Year 10, nice. So Janae's a year 10 student and we thought that we might just take a few minutes to talk to Janae and, yeah, kind of get to know Janae. Who is Janae? So tell us, Janae, whereabouts do you whereabouts do you come from originally? You've always lived here in the uh, Lake Macquarie, Newcastle area? No. So I was born in Sydney at the Sand. Um, and Otherwise known as uh, Sydney, Sydney Adventist Advent- Hospital. Yes. yes. So that's where I was born. And when I was a baby... Uh, my family moved to the United States on the East Coast because of my dad's work um, for the Seventh-day Adventist Church um, at the General Conference, which is, if you don't know, is like kind of the headquarters of the church, um, and that's, yeah, in the U.S. Um, and so we moved over there when I was probably about 10 months, um, and we were there for 10 years. So that's kind of my, my home base, uh, to be honest. Proudly okay. Australian, but also proudly um, American. What, what, um, yeah. what city did you live in? Uh, so I lived in Columbia, Maryland. Oh, um, so we lived probably about like uh, 45 minutes from Washington, D.C., the capital. Yeah. 
Nice. Good so stuff. you're uh, dual citizens then? Citizen yes, then? dual, dual citizens. citizens. Oh, yes, <laughs> so good. See, the good thing about being an American citizen is if you're travelling around the world somewhere in some weird random country and the country goes belly up, they will send a <laughs> fleet of uh, ships in an aircraft carrier to drag you out, whereas Australia will be like, hmm, I think we have a citizen over there somewhere. Oops. <laughs> At the same time, though, you know, it's a little bit dodgy with the Americans' connections with uh, all of the other countries, so it's usually a lot safer to use the Australian. This is true because the American passport does kind of paint a target on your back at the mm, same time. Yes. Whereas everyone just loves us. Like, Aussies. Exactly. Just, like, just They're just minding anywhere. our own business, you know, down <laughs> south in our little island. Yeah. So was it, hard, was it hard as a 10-year-old to move from America to Australia? Um, actually, not really. We were already used to travelling quite a bit just because of my dad's work. We are always going on trips um, around the world. Um, we've been to lots of countries. So it wasn't really a new experience. And also we had, you know with our parents coming from Australia and New Zealand and originally Samoa, um, we already had a lot of family in the South Pacific. So it was really a nice transition. Um, while we do miss, you know, all of our friends that we have in the US, um, coming back to family, that was a really good experience. Okay, so you're born in Australia, raised in America, now living in Australia with yes. parents that come from New Zealand and Samoa. Were they yeah, born so, in those countries? Uh, they were born or? in Samoa but um, kind of grew up uh, in New Zealand. So and you just, Australia. Your whole heritage is just all over the world. Yeah, like I'm a bit of a fruit salad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Completely international. That's just awesome. And out of out of uh, out of all of those countries uh, that you've travelled to, other than Australia, mm. which one was your favourite? That's a bit of a hard one to be honest. Is you know it's kind of hard to compare because every place is so different. I think my favourite would probably be. Paris, France. Yes. That was an awesome experience. Um, at the time, I think I was probably like eight. Uh, my parents could correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it was really cool because I was kind of into like learning languages. So I was like trying to learn French at the same time. And, uh, you know, just it was beautiful uh, uh-huh. just the whole oh, time. France and that is was a gorgeous country. Yeah, at the time it was it was safe. This was before we had some like those bombings at the stadiums and things like that um, before everything kind of went a bit wild. So that was that was a really good experience as well. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. I love I love France. It's a great country. Um, so good choice right there. You mentioned um, you were learning some different languages. Do you yes. speak different languages? No, uh, unfortunately. So in the US, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people will know. In, in school, in general, you have you to learn, learn languages. Yeah. So in the US, we learned Spanish because that was you know like the next most spoken language in the United States. Um, if not the most, uh, honestly. So we had to learn that from kindergarten up, and so I have like a little bit of a. Very, very basic knowledge of Spanish. And then other than that, you know, learning a few languages here and there, but like nothing solid. So I'd really love to, to finish learning any language. Oh, so what happened to your, what happened to your American accent? <laughs> yeah, I get that one a lot. In fact, like when we first, when we first moved, I had an American accent. Um, because, you know, growing up there for 10 years, that would be expected. That's where I learned, learned how to speak. But, um, my parents have Australian accents coming from Australia and kind of, you know, Kiwi accents as well. And so we're already used to the to the accent already. And then, of course, all of our family, we used to come back every year to Australia to come visit. So we're used to it. Um, and then I think it was kind of just, you know, when you kind of assimilate into a new school, especially, and all of the people around you have a certain accent. And we were still young at the time. Like, I have a younger brother and he was seven, so very impressionable. So we kind of just lost it after the first year. And it's crazy because now it's not like I go around telling people I'm from the United States. So a lot of people, when I, it does kind of slip out, they're like, oh, 
are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, so what's it like is it, uh, to, to be a young person growing up um, as the, I guess, the daughter of, you know, somebody who is, you know, one of the, I guess, one of the heavy hitters, one of the, one of the, <laughs> one of the, um, you know, the, the 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 big guys, I guess you might say, um, world leaders mm. in the Adventist Church. How how does that? What kind of a what kind of a um, an effect does that have on you from a spiritual perspective with your walk with God? Um, well, you know, of course, we grew up going to churches all of the time. We spent a lot of time in churches. So uh, for a little bit, I think, as I was younger, we always grew up with, uh, you know, a really strong faith in our home. And um, I know for a lot of pastors, kids, this can vary because a lot of kids have that, you know, feeling that because their parents are so invested in the church that they don't have time for them. Um, and I've definitely seen that in kids who who I can relate to. Uh, at the same time, though, I personally um, was raised, you know, in a very, you know, strong households where they prioritise both God and us. And um, I think that was really special for us because then we knew that, no, we didn't come second, but at the same time, God would always be first, you know what I mean? Um, and so... Uh, growing up, you know, God was a really big part of our lives, and I never felt that, you know, um, he. I felt that He was there, but He wasn't, you know, overpowering. And so that really gave me a great perspective on a loving God, someone who wow. was there for you, um, you know, just in so many ways. And so, while it was, you know, hard moving back and forth, it was, there was also, you know, a lot of things to be thankful for. And I think growing up as a pastor's kid gives me a unique, you know, kind of perspective on the church and just growing up in it. Mm, that's fantastic. Tell me, um, you mentioned that you did, you, you know, obviously your parents have done a lot of travel with their work. When you're working at, you know, world headquarters, that's going to involve a lot of travel. Yep. And you got to travel with them a fair bit. That's pretty special. Yes. How do you balance the travel with going to school? Um, so a lot of the time, uh, mum and dad tried to keep that within our school holidays. Uh, dad, of course, was always traveling, but, uh, the, you know, trips that he went on, we tried to just keep within, um, yeah, the school holidays and things like that. So it was kind of just like, um, enjoy the time while you have, uh, while you're there, just, you know, make the most of it. Um, and then once you're back at home, go into your regular routine and make up for the things that you might have missed out on. Um, and so, of course, I always had great teachers, um, and they were always very supportive, making sure that I had my schoolwork and things like that, so I never fell behind. Um, so I, I always had a really good experience with that balance. Yeah, that's 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 amazing because I think travel in and of itself, um, just just by itself, is a fantastic form of education. Yeah, mm. um, it really broadens your worldview, and <laughs> I encourage parents to travel with their kids. Well, whenever they can, once COVID is over, and while COVID <laughs> is on, we have a great country to travel around right now. Yes. Tell me. In your own personal experience, have you always known God? Has God always been a part of your life? Or is there a point that you could point to and say, that's where I gave my heart to God? Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously God, as I said before, God was always a huge part of my life. But there was a little bit of a time, um, probably when I was like around eight, um, where I, I'd always wanted to be baptized. It was just one of those things, like, I saw Dad baptizing people, you know, basically every month. I was like, yep, that's going to be me. Like, I'm going to be next. I, I want to be in that water, and I want to give my life to Jesus. But um, at first, it was kind of like, well, you know, at the time, it was like, um, I'm just going through the motions of, you know, going to church because my parents are going, and, you know, like, how much do I actually know about Jesus other than saying prayer, you know, before I eat and before I go to sleep um, and thanking him for a couple of things here and there. And so I think it really came to the point when I was like around 12, um, when I was like, hey, I 
like this is something that I want to commit to and so dad started you know doing like small bible lessons with us and I realized that there was so much more than just you know a god who you go and worship it's a god who wants to have a relationship with you and that was kind of like the turning point for me where I was like hey it's not just he's not just there you know he's there for you and um so that's when I decided to give my life to Jesus because I truly felt that connection yeah, that that's is epic stuff. Yeah. Epic stuff here in radio. That's some bangers right there. And not a God who we worship, but a God who wants to know you. That's powerful. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And, it's you know, these are the most powerful testimonies that there are. So often, you know, we glorify testimonies where somebody has come from a, a life of just, you know, terrible sin or whatever it might be. But the greatest testimony is the testimony of somebody who grows up in a Christian home and who, who sees Christianity modeled by their parents and gives their life to God um, at a young age. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.